Well, I would describe myself as kind of a visual person. And that's what drew me to broadcast news in the first place. I was very much into art when I was a kid. That was my favorite thing. Art and theater, actually. And I loved English. And so when I was trying to think of what I wanted to do when I, I grew up, I literally put those together and mashed them together and said, oh, what marries all of those? And I'd already started tinkering with radio a little bit. I just thought, you know what? I think telling a story visually is more my style. And so I looked for universities that had a good journalism program. And I found the University of Georgia, uh, which is still currently ranked like in the top five journalism programs in the country. So I was really fortunate uh, to be able to get into that program. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm your host, Dan Moyle. I'm so glad you're joining me today. In this episode, season four of the Storytellers Network, we hear from a weekday co-anchor of 7 Action News this morning on Detroit's ABC affiliate WXYZ from 4.30 until 7 every morning. That's early, which is where all this kind of comes together. She actually joined WXYZ back in 2007 as an anchor reporter, multimedia journalist, and as a cheerleader of Channel 7's hashtag early risers on Twitter and Facebook. And that's why I wanted to talk to Alicia Smith. I've admired Alicia's social media usage over the years. Her authenticity and her willingness to share the behind the scenes stories really helps make news real and humanizes this entire media machine that we always talk about. She's also an award-winning storyteller. Alicia is a three-time Emmy Award winner who has been recognized for both her anchoring and her reporter. And today, you get to hear Alicia's story. Now, as we get into that conversation, a quick reminder to visit thestorytellersnetwork.com for more episodes from past seasons, for how to contact me, and for other resources to help you tell your story and to inspire you. And if you're new, text storytellers to 31996 to subscribe. You'll get a nice little text back, a subscribe button, real easy. At storytellers to 31996. Now, let's get to those stories. Thanks for joining me today, Alicia. I appreciate you taking time to talk to the Storytellers Network listeners. Well, it is my pleasure, Dan. Great to see you. It's It's been a little while, so I'm yeah. looking forward to chatting and catching <laughs> up. Um, now, I think of you as a storyteller. Uh, especially because, you know, as a reporter and as an anchor, you're telling other people's stories and highlighting them. Have you always been a storyteller? I think in, in many respects I have. First of all, I would describe myself as kind of a visual person. And that's what drew me to broadcast news in the first place. I was very much into art when I was a kid. That was my favorite thing. Art and theater, actually. And I loved English. And so when I was trying to think of what I wanted to do when I, I grew up, I literally put those together and mashed them together and said, oh, what marries all of those? And I'd already started tinkering with radio a little bit. I loved the presentation of radio and I worked at this AM radio station 
in coastal Georgia, um, WCGA, the light of coastal Georgia is how I used to say it. Uh, <laughs> that was a long time ago. I was in high school. But um, I, I just thought, you know what? I think telling a story visually is more my style. And so I looked for universities that had a good journalism program. And I found the University of Georgia, uh, which is still currently ranked like in the top five journalism programs in the country. So I was really fortunate uh, to be able to get into that program. And wonderful instructors there. I just went to the retirement of one of my uh, associate professors that I just adored, David Hazinski, who taught me so much. And uh, I just kind of cut my teeth there. They did a lot of hands-on uh, learning. Um, definitely, they, they threw you into the fire a little bit in terms of you had to go out and do stories, you know, in your final senior projects. And we put on a newscast and we were even live on TV. So that was a wonderful opportunity. And they also were very big on encouraging their students to get as many internships as possible, not just one. Yeah. And so because of that, I had an internship every single summer during college. I also would have like a, a part-time job, you know, a food lion or I was a hostess at Coconut Willie's one summer, you know, that kind of stuff. But I had an internship every single summer and only one of them was paid. And that was uh, my very last one. And that's where I got my first job at this very teeny tiny station, uh, WBSG in southeastern Georgia in Brunswick, um, the mainland city there where I, uh, I graduated from high school. So that, that worked out. Um, but it, it was very important to kind of get an idea of what I was getting into. And I won't lie, I was so green when I was just starting. And when I was first telling stories, I was trying to do my best to, you know, have a good interview and shoot focused video and make sure I white balanced because I was a one man band. Yeah. And so I was shooting my own video and editing it and then delivering it on the air. And, uh, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I absolutely did. And that's part of learning absolutely part of learning. And one of the things I learned to become a better storyteller is you have to be a good listener. And that takes some practice and that takes sometimes years <laughs> to really start to hone that skill. And uh, I, I definitely can say I've become a better listener over these many years. <laughs> and what I find fascinating is that two things. Number one, mm -hmm. you knew pretty early on what you wanted to do and you went after it. So mm -hmm like not that you're going to be an author or a poet or something kind of storyteller in that way, but you knew you want to do that. So that's, that's amazing. How, how, how did you just kind of know that? I mean, did you talk to a lot of people or? You know, I have to credit my parents. I'm going to get choked up here <laughs> because I just, I was that kind of geeky kid. I was really close to my parents. I would talk to them every night, you know, before they'd go to bed. They're like, Alicia, please, you know, go to bed, go to bed. But I was super close to them. And I did have some good friends, uh, but I was probably um, a little awkward, you know, still trying to find myself. But for whatever reason, I just gravitated toward these opportunities maybe to give a presentation in front of the class or write a good paper or I would try out for theater and I would you know only get the chorus <laughs> parts I would never get anything because I can't sing or the flip but you know I just like the idea maybe just a skosh of performance and acting thrown in there but there was something about um, being able to do all of it 
with broadcast news, the presentation part of it, the writing. I'm very much into writing. I'm a total grammar nerd. And also painting a story through pictures. And you know, I used to put together very ornate scrapbooks. And then once I had the opportunity to do video, I'm like, I mean, how cool is that? And now in this day and age where people have smartphones and they can quickly edit on their smartphone, I don't know what I would have done had I been like a high schooler now with the smartphone. I would have been out of control yeah. making videos every minute I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's incredible the, how technology kind of makes that. I mean, it kind of right. democratizes it in one sense, but it also yeah. empowers the professionals to do so much more. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. And just to jump back on something I was just going to say about my parents, um, you know, when I had this crazy idea that I wanted to go and broadcast news, be a broadcast news anchor and reporter, they were like, okay, okay, you go do that. And nice. when I went to the University of Georgia, I had a loan, an, an academic loan, and I, I will never forget this for as long as I live. I was, I always had to interview with the loan officers every year to make sure they approved of me as a student and that I was upholding, you know, all the academic standards that they wanted me to adhere to. Uh, so I was a good person for this loan and they weren't wasting their money. And when I was about to, um, you know, apply for the broadcast news program as a junior and I had, you know, really good grades, I'd study super hard they were like, well, you know what? You're not going to make very much money in broadcast news, so we need you to change your major. Uh. And I, I was like, what? And I, you know, I was devastated. Called my parents, and they said, no, no. I mean, I was in tears. And they're like, no, don't change your major. That's what you want to do. You do it. And he was right when I graduated from college. I think I was making uh, $12,500. And obviously, that was a long time ago. That was in, you know, the early to mid-90s. But it was nothing. It was like the poverty level. And I was living with my parents for the first two years. So they were more than supportive because um, journalism is a tough road. And a lot of people, those first few years are so hard. I had a lot of friends who didn't make it, but I absolutely loved what I was doing. It was hard, but thanks to the support of my parents, I was able to get through it. And after a couple of years at home, I finally got out, moved to another city, got a roommate, and, you know, and I was really on my own. But, but yeah, so that it was that early kind of support system for my parents because they knew how much I wanted to do this that was, enabled me to, to make it. That's amazing. It's so nice to have that support system. I know, it is. One of the things I hear you say, Alicia, what I heard you say earlier was um, as you were describing what you did in that first job, a one-man band, as it were, mm -hmm. to me, it sounds like being a storyteller may take many different kinds of skills mm -hmm. and things to learn. So for listeners thinking, yeah, I love to tell stories, how, how do you learn those skills to help you be a better storyteller in this multimedia world? That's an excellent question. I think one thing that absolutely helped me was the fact that I learned to do all of the jobs. Mm. Uh, I learned how to go out and shoot video and I learned how to edit it both tape to tape and then nonlinear. I learned how to write a story. I learned how to deliver it on air. I could run the prompter. I could pretty much do everything but run the live truck. Couldn't do that. <laughs> Could not do that, and I respect everyone who can. Um, but I think learning all those different processes, knowing how to produce all of it, that it really gives you this well-rounded picture of the tools at hand 
and what everybody is responsible for doing. And then the product you can make at the end of that. And, you know, I was a one-man band for quite a while. But then when I was able to move on to bigger markets and I was fortunate enough to work with very talented photojournalists, wow, do, did my stories go to the next level. So it, it takes a village, <laughs> as they say. And so I have to say I've learned from every news director I've had, every producer I've worked with, every photographer in the field, um, assignment editors, you name it. I mean, I've learned so much from all the people. And so for those who are just kind of starting out or they want to know, you know, how do you um, be successful in this business, uh, you know, you definitely need to look at those around you, um, you know, obviously have internships to get the educational knowledge that you need, but then, you know, you got to get out there in the weeds and really um, go after these stories. You're going to make mistakes. And I made plenty, <laughs> but oh, yeah. you, you learn from them. I, I remember almost every single mistake I've made and, and then you learn from it and you move forward and you just get better. And, and that's the best part is, you know, looking back, I've been doing this, you know, close to 25 years now. And I can't tell you any one story that was remarkable. All of them touched me in different ways, whether they were just, you know, news of the day and, and you met someone who just got into a car accident uh, to something, um, you know, like uh, two sisters who were just reunited. I did a story uh, not too long ago on Channel 7 and uh, by chance meeting after 50 years, they found out we're related. I mean, you know, so crazy things like that. It has been a wonderful ride, but you do literally, uh, in not even realizing it, keep learning. I'm still learning to this day. And, uh, that's the great thing about it. You're always evolving. And especially when it comes to social media, I don't know. I mean, there is no end in sight <laughs> when it yeah. comes to evolving and, and reporting, uh, using social media. Yeah. And one of the things I hear you say is when you're talking about how to be a better storyteller, you're thinking, you're, you're saying professionally and in journalism. And not what I hear too, though, is even just in any, any kind of storytelling uh, world, right? The personal development, the, it takes a village, um, being uh -huh. a listener and a lifelong learner. Like those are really important lessons for all of us to tell better stories. Does that cross over for you? Do you think? Absolutely. And I also think um, something that rings true for so many people when you're telling a story is to find um, those moments that really strike a chord. I was uh, interviewing a, an assistant superintendent at a school district recently and a story I was doing for my Living a Better Life series. And it was on how the Novi School District was teaching mindfulness to second graders to help them deal with stress and, and handle um, arguments with their peers better and to focus so they can be better learners. And the assistant superintendent, uh, yeah, it had a great interview with him. He was talking about all the funding they had done and why they had decided after much review to put the money in this area and all that. So it was a great interview. Everything he had to say was full of good information. And then toward the end, he was saying, and you know what? I saw my son, my second grader, came home one day. I said, what do you want to do today? And he just popped up into a full lotus and said, I want to practice mindfulness. And the assistant superintendent said, my head just swiveled. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and that, I think so many people could relate to that. Parents out there and, and others who don't even have kids, you know, just like, yeah, you wouldn't expect a second grader to be that mature. 
and want to do that. And, and so that was the, the soundbite I picked out from the assistant superintendent, his long interview, because I knew it would resonate with people that he was speaking from the heart. And he had just had that moment, like so many parents, like, oh, I'm surprised and also proud of my son at the same time. Yeah. So I, I hear the passion in, your, in how yeah. you tell stories. And I, and I clearly you love telling them and you love that connectedness. Mm. Um, I want to get to social media here in a minute, but I want to stay with this yeah. for a minute here. What, so, so it sounds to me like connecting and resonating is, is what you love about stories and telling other people's mm. stories. But what's a challenge when it comes to being a storyteller whether just in general or in this particular time of, of our history, what's a, what's a challenge that you face? Well, I, I know in broadcast news and multimedia journalism, you know, deadlines. And, and in some respects, the deadlines are even falling away. It's immediacy. You have to get it on now. And they want, uh, you know, I say they, you know, managers, we're all trying to get the information out to our users, our viewers, our readers, as quickly as possible, um, Facebook living. Reporters are now doing Facebook lives when they get to a scene as they're gathering information, which is really kind of mind blowing when you think about it. Because usually you get there, you have your your notepad or your your phone, and you're taking notes. You're you're looking for the chief uh, on the scene or or whatever witnesses. And now, in some cases, reporters are you know, going live, um, microwave, um, Sony stick on Facebook live. And so you're literally watching reporters gather the news, which is exciting, but also it, it changes the way a story is told. It's a little messier. And I suppose that's okay because people know what they're getting. They know this is happening. And I think people are, are, are a little more forgiving in this day and age. If the, if the video is shaky, if it's not quite in focus, uh, if you're just asking somebody's name as you're walking up, please spell that for me. And what's your title and that kind of thing. It is definitely more immediate. And so when we, you know, over the years work so hard to craft the story and make it just right before we deliver it to, to viewers on a plate, whether it's at, you know, 6 PM or we tweet it out or we post it on Facebook or our website, now you are, I think, having the challenge of, you know, delivering the news and kind of telling the story at the same time. There's not really a time to like go back and pick the perfect soundbite. This is, it's all hanging out there. So I think for our crews in the field, I have so much admiration for them. Obviously, I anchor four and a half hours of news every morning. And so I'm in studio longer than I'm out in the field. I still do report every week. But for those who hit the ground every single day, turning two or even more stories a day, uh, I just, I bow down to them. It is such a hard and challenging job. I salute them every second of the day. <laughs> no kidding. And it's, and I, and I, I got to believe too, it's difficult as you're going and doing those lives and you're trying to be first and also be accurate and be, you know, have the integrity that, that we're all up against the attention and not, not so much the span. Cause I mean, we sit down and watch a three hour movie, right? right. But it's that right. attention, the keeping it that's so important. Um, how, how do you see that? How have you seen that change over your almost 25 years of doing oh, man. this? 
you know what? Netflix is our biggest nemesis right now in news. I'm telling you, and I, I'm right there with you. I want to come back. I'm going to binge watch my Game of Thrones, and I will check in on the news later. I think a big thing is a lot of people, because they are right in front of their laptop, their computer, their smartphones all day long, and they have their apps where they're getting push notifications of, of news events that are happening throughout the day. I do believe that people think, oh, I'm consuming the news and I know what's going on, which absolutely you're getting push notifications from sources that you find credible and that you're interested in. And that's fantastic. But the days of sitting down, I mean, I used to go to Leo's Coney Island and I would sit and have breakfast and I'd flip through the paper. I, you know, my, my fingers would get dirty from the ink and I loved that. And I felt like if I went from the beginning to the end, I had read the news of the day, you know, you know, and my favorite publications and you do not see that anymore. People, I think, pick and choose kind of what their news is, which in a way is fantastic they're reading what they want. They're consuming what they want. But for us as journalists, you know, we have to work really hard to get their attention. Or I should say we're working harder to get their attention now more than ever, especially because people have so many more options for their time, whether it's, you know, just their work email, it can be very demanding to coming home and, hey, you want to just play some video games? That's fine too. So, but when you think of that and, you know, all the screen time we have, at some point, people have to unplug. They have to sleep, <laughs> you know? They yeah, have to get their kids ready for school. And that's where in the morning show, we hope that they tune in to us. But yeah, everybody's attention is just so in demand on so many platforms. It's mind boggling sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So in this season, I'm, I'm talking to social media storytellers is what I'm calling it. But it's anybody who tells a story and then uses social media. Now, when you and I were together, Alicia, way back in the days at WWMT in Kalamazoo. Woo woo! News Channel 3. <laughs> yeah, baby. Um, <laughs> social was very, very new. When you left and went to Detroit, I, I, I followed along and I watched you grow and what you did and everything. And I remember back then, I mean, Twitter was brand new. Hardly anybody was using it. Now it seems like you're almost required to. But, but you were using it back then and doing it very well and did, you know, used hashtags like back channel. Now you're a big cheerleader of uh, early risers. Has that, <laughs> has that been purposeful on your part? Was it something you're kind of just naturally at? How did, how did social media become such a great tool for you as a storyteller? <coughs> Excuse me. I'm so sorry. That's all right. Um, good question. It definitely was encouraged. Mm -hmm. I would say it was definitely encouraged. And <clears throat> I have to give nods to people who helped me find the way there. Stephen Clark, our main anchor, who just recently retired, but also um, Dave Llewellyn. They were some of the first people in our newsroom who actually got on Twitter and were loving it, like absolutely in love with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just remember a few times Dave Llewellyn teasing me, you're not on Twitter yet, come on, you gotta get on Twitter. And of course the WXYZ web team was encouraging us to get on Twitter as well. And so when I finally did it, I think my first tweet was something silly like, hey, I'm on Twitter. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was lame. Guilty. <laughs> Guilty. It was so lame. Uh, but after I got into it and, and, and Stephen Clark had great success with the hashtag back channel at night, he would sometimes even stream live and people would watch, you know, the behind the scenes of him anchoring. I did that a few times too. Um, and you would watch, say, on TweetDeck when you open up your different um, shoots of what you want to follow. And he'd have back, hashtag back channel up. I'd have 
hashtag early risers, I started, I just thought it'd be fun to do something different in the mornings. And it was so funny how people picked sides. They were like, I'm, a, I'm with the early risers. And other people were like, no, I'm back channel all the way. And we just chuckled. We thought that was the best thing. And Steven and I um, really kind of played it up. We had, we had a wonderful time with it. And I, I feel like for the first time, that really helped me feel a connection with the viewer in real time that I had never felt before. Absolutely, people were so sweet. They, they come up to you when you see them on a street or you're at a public appearance, but when they are tweeting at you while you're on TV about something you just said, whoa. Yeah. I mean, that gets your attention right there. It is incredibly powerful. And then, you know, you start, you know, responding and interacting in real time. And it actually got to the point, like one of our directors called me, you know, tweet queen is like, you know, you're about to have a read here. You're, you're tight shot on camera three. Would you please look up after your tweet and read the story? <laughs> and I was like, of course, of course. But um, yeah, those are the early days. And I still do, you know, the early risers hashtag. And I, I say good morning, early risers when I uh, open the newscast on channel seven. Um, but it, it has evolved and it will continue evolving. Now, um, Facebook obviously is huge. A lot of people only get their news from Facebook. And when you think about that, that is really fascinating, especially since the controversy with the last presidential election where there were a lot of literally fake news articles that were purposefully being shared by, as we now know, <laughs> Uh, people connected to the Russian government. And so that is really disturbing that a lot of people believed uh, those posts and may have, you know, voted differently because of it. We don't know. We can never really know. Yeah. But um, that has been um, disturbing and yet fascinating at the same time. Instagram is kind of the, the newest and, and more popular almost now than the others. Uh, I, I think I now enjoy Instagram more than Facebook and Twitter. If you can enjoy, they're all different. I kind of use them in different ways, but I find Instagram, uh, it's just, well, it's more visual and I am more of a visual person, but I do feel like, uh, at this moment, it's kind of like, um, more positive, but also I think a, a good place just to, um, tell stories in a way that, uh, you know, more, more lighthearted in some cases. That's not to say I don't do serious news today. Uh, on my Insta story, I did put a clip of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and also a clip of Brett Kavanaugh. So that was probably more on the serious side of how I've used Instagram. But I try when I have a story, for example, I try to do something on all platforms and it plays differently. On different platforms and what I post on each platform I try to tweak ever so slightly to see if it will work better on one platform than the other but I think what's incredible in this day and age is there are young people who are only getting their news from Instagram they're not even on Facebook yeah. some people only get their news from Facebook I still believe news breaks now on Twitter mm -hmm. whereas before news broke on TV uh, but now I do believe that news still breaks on Twitter, unless you're Facebook lobbying and watching it. But yeah, just to see all of that transform and, ex and explode here in, in the last you know, decade has, has been incredible.
That's it's and it's crazy to think that it's only about the last decade. I know. Really, two thousand eight. Yes. Yeah. It's insane. I know. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Um, so something I, that I that I heard you say, I want, I want to kind of get back to you because I'm friends with a lot of folks who are in news. And, and when I hear people disparage the media and talk about the media as this big yeah. monster or fake uh-huh. news, right. I love the idea of humanizing the people who are in that field. And what I like about it, and I don't know if there's a question here, but what I like about our conversation, Alicia, is that you're humanizing that and you're showing that you care and that you want to tell stories in order to empower others and, and make a difference and not not some big monstrous machine. So, so thank you for that. Um, oh, thank you for that, Dan. I yeah, appreciate that. Thank absolutely. you. And, and do you see that as kind of a, a mission for anyone in that journalism field is to continue to humanize in order to tell better stories? Man, I want to wave that flag high. Absolutely. I think anybody in, in journalism right now feels like there's this, like I've never seen before, this strange backlash against us that is unjustified. People fought and died for our freedom of speech and the free press. And, and when you think about that and, and that people look at us like we are the enemy, it, it, it breaks my heart because I'm thinking we're we are one of you. We live in your community. If there is a chemical in my drinking water, I want to know about it just as much as you do. If uh, the road crews are striking and they're not going to finish this project on time like they're supposed to, and it's going to affect my commute, it's going to be an hour and a half now for much, much longer than I thought. I care about that right along with you. So, I mean, I think sometimes people just lose sight of that. There's this vitriol, I think, in our country where everything becomes politicized. And I would just like to remind people that the media, the bulk of the media out there, I'm not talking about the cable news folks who are paid to have opinions and have a round table and discuss and be provocative. I'm not talking about that. That absolutely has its place. And you know, I respect that. I'm talking about the people who are delivering the news, who are going to the city council meetings, who are going to your water and sewer board meeting, who are foying documents to find out and uh, um, you know, shine the light on corruption in your county. You know, that's what I'm talking about. You need those people on the front lines fighting for you, holding people accountable because this is our government we're talking about. This is our country and we have to protect it. And the freedom of press is a big part of that. Absolutely. It is. Well said. Thank you. I'm like fired up now, Dan. You are. (laughs) Uh, I could go on for hours, but we don't have that kind of time. I want to, I want to give you one last chance. One one last question here. Um, I like to end on this one and and hopefully I I get you. Um, Uh If somebody told you, Alicia, you are done telling stories. Okay. What would your last story be? Oh, how, how would you man. seriously? Oh gosh. What would my last story be? Or what would it look like? How would you want to go out? What would that, what would that be? Right. For you? Gosh, you know what? I think it would have to be something about if, if it's here, it would have to be something about like a love letter to Metro Detroit and Michigan. Um, you know, I, I was in Kalamazoo Grand Rapids for five years, as you know, and then I've been here in, in Metro Detroit for 12 years. I met and married my husband here. I'm putting down roots here. I love it. And, and people have been absolutely gracious and welcoming 
to me. I mean, obviously, we're all homers. You know, once you're here, you know, you, you have that Detroit pride and that Michigan pride. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure, you know, having not been born here, you know, if, if I would be accepted. And I have been. People are wonderful. They are absolutely wonderful. Michiganders are some of the most generous people you'll ever meet anytime. Like, you know, we have the Mega March for Animals for the Michigan Humane Society coming up. People come out of the woodwork to come walk with us, uh, whether it's Race for the Cure in Detroit or even in Kalamazoo. We always had uh, folks show up for that and support great causes. Uh, you name it, Make-A-Wish, Michigan, Epilepsy Foundation, of Michigan, some of the causes that I've been, you know, fortunate enough to work with, um, and now the the Sky Foundation to, to fight pancreatic cancer. Just some of the the many uh, organizations I've worked with, Habitat for Humanity. Um, I, I absolutely feel like people have opened up their arms and uh, welcomed the efforts that um, myself and my colleagues have done to try to better the community and tell the best stories we could. And at the end of the day, it's the stories about all of them. And when they turn on the TV in the morning to start their day, to put on their makeup with uh, me and my team in the background or to fix their kids breakfast before they catch the bus or, you know, to, to see what the weather's going to be like before they run outside for a jog. If they're doing it with us, whether it's on TV, whether it's on social media, uh, that is such a privilege and honor, and that would be probably what my 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 final farewell would have to be all about, because it's just um, gratefulness from my heart uh, to everyone in this area for being so good to me. That's awesome. That's a great way to go out. I love that Michigan pride. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome. Even though you were, you you weren't born here, we love having you here. Thank you so much, Dan. Awesome. And it's great to see you too. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, I'm going to put links to your, your social media and all that in the show notes. So uh, thanks for taking time today, Alicia. Absolutely. Fantastic to see you again, Dan. Great luck to you. I just want to thank my guest, Alicia Smith. Uh, what a great conversation. So nice to catch up with somebody and to hear the behind the scenes on somebody who is a, an, an effective social media storyteller. You can visit uh, Alicia online and her social channels and uh, on the website at WXYZ. All those links are in the, uh, the show notes. So there you go. And if you enjoyed the episode, you can go ahead and share it on that social media as well, right? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you want to share it. Always helpful and appreciated. Uh, and hey, if you're new, Text to storytellers, so, so, so. I'm going to stutter for a minute here. Text the word storytellers to 31996 to subscribe, and you can get new episodes delivered to you every Monday morning. And please consider leaving us a review if you like what we're doing. Hey, until next time, here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers.